0: My name is Caleb Pierce, and I am the president at Get Smarter Prep. And I have been here since 2000, early 2012. And I, uh, before that, my my former life, I worked in higher education. I worked at at some small liberal arts schools for about 10 or 11 years, kind of helping them with their their enrollment, admissions, financial aid, things like that. Uh, so I'm kind of, it's actually more fun to be on this side of, of the desk, helping students actually prepare and, and, and improve their scores and get ready for college than even evaluating those transcripts. Uh, sometimes I miss, miss being on that college campus because there's always just so much energy, uh, but I wouldn't trade what I do for anything. So anyway, a little bit about me. Um, today we're going to go through some, some of the current trends, and we, I think we have 10 of them. Some of these trends I could spend literally... 10 or 15 minutes on on each one, uh, but I'm gonna try to limit myself so that I don't drag this out forever. So I'm gonna try to cut myself off at times. If you have some clarifying questions or something that's been on your mind and you just want, wanna want know, uh, feel free to type that into the, into the um, chat box. And Jill Purcell, our marketing director, is available to, to help me kind of manage that and make sure that I, I'm not missing those along the way, okay? All right, let's let's kind of get rolling here. I'm going to start off with a few of the basics. Um, As we're going through, we're seeing... uh, Let's see here. So, again, you know a little bit about me now. Uh, Get Smarter Prep is Kansas City-based, and we, we have some of the the most focused, targeted prep for for students in the Metro. And that that includes content, that includes ACT, that includes GRE and LSAT, and all sorts of different other uh, tests and preparation areas. Um, and, And we value the individual and everybody's gonna be a little bit different. So we wanna do what's right for each student and make sure that we're approaching The exam or the curriculum or whatever it may be in a way that makes the most sense for them because these tests are very different than what students see in school. Uh, So we try to take that into account and take into account students needs as well. All right. We also again, I'll tell you one of the toughest parts of my entire job is finding tutors um, that that can excel here at Get Smarter Prep. we frequently have amazing testers who come through. They score very, very well as they enter training, uh, but unfortunately, very few make it through. Maybe about 25% of our tutors make it through training because maybe they're good at testing, but they're not good at communicating and actually teaching to students. And that's that's the important piece, right? And It's not just, just the knowledge in the head, but we want to make sure that they are, can convey that effectively to our students. Uh, so everybody's scoring the top 1% uh, in each section after training. And then we kind of again make sure that we're continuing our education. And uh, sometimes ACT or or LSAT or GRE or whatever test we're looking at sometimes sneaks in a new question or type or two. And we just as, as a team kind of kind of refocus and build build some additional tools and continue to, to relearn the important things. The other fun thing that happened this year is uh, ACD had moved away from certain t- types of questions for five five or six years, and then they reintroduced them. Uh, so we, a lot of us were very familiar with the, with the type. We just hadn't seen it for so long, so we hadn't put quite as much of an emphasis on it. So we're following those trends. We're making sure we're targeting exactly what students need along the way, all right? So let's get into the actual presentation. Like I said, there are 10 topics here. Some of them are going to be a little bit more in-depth, and some of them I'm going to breeze through fairly quickly so that I can spend more time on those that I, I deem more important, all right? But again, if you have questions, feel free to chat at us. So the first one, if if any of you attended um, the, the first webinar in this series, this is one of the things that I talked about uh, is demonstrated interest. In, and more, more so, I kind of just defined it as a term. This is something that I think is going to be very, very important, maybe even up to one-third of the admission decision for the class of 2021. So we'll get to it in a second, but some of the most important things, I I would argue argue that the three most important things to college admissions uh, offices are one, They want to see the GPA, right? They want to get that maybe even a a class rank and compare it to their peers and see what that looks like. Second is strength of schedule. And third is the test scores. Well, this is such a strange time for class of 2021. Very arguably, the most important uh semester is sixth semester so this past spring which we all know was kind of a mess right and it was a mess not only for our our students here in the metro but for students across the entire country did you know that most most schools actually didn't even do like a grade like we did for most most students did in our area they just did a pass fail which literally how do you translate that into a gpa you can't right so sixth semester grades are kind of pointless and now, even seventh semester, which are the second most important, especially for those who are maybe, uh, maybe not scoring quite as well or, or, or just focused on regular admission in the spring. Those are things that, like, again, we don't, for a lot of us, we still don't even know what, what school's going to look like. And maybe it's already started or it starts next week. So I, I think that there's going to be some challenges in, in actually measuring those pieces. And on top of that, class of 2021, they've gone test optional. Uh, a lot of schools, anyway, have. So I think there are just metrics that we've relied on, relied upon in higher education for so long, and those those main pieces. Have disappeared. So what are they going to make the decision upon? And and I think this demonstrated interest is an easy, simple, very direct way to improve our chances of getting accepted to a school. And this is where a student has to do some heavy lifting. This is not mom or dad sending an email to admission to an admissions officer. This is the student engaging, asking questions, a follow up question. Don't think that you're bugging them until they tell you that they're bugging that you're bugging them. Okay, uh, it, it's okay to send a few emails uh it the other big one that I, I would very readily uh recommend is getting on the website right get get on there go check out some some different virtual presentations that the school is giving they're going to track that information uh the, the campus tour there's so many virtual tours there, there are very few schools i think university of oklahoma is the only school that i know of in, in this region that is actually doing in-person tours so we want to make sure that that we're showing that interest. And it's this is great because we don't have to to plan a trip. We don't have to travel several hours and spend an entire weekend visiting a college anymore. We, now we can hop on, on their website and demonstrate that interest in an easier way from, from our bedroom or from the dining room table. And all. the whole family can kind of follow along. Uh, I, I think that that could be a very good, useful tool going forward, OK? So let's demonstrate interest much more important than in years past, and we just want to make sure that we're we're setting ourselves up uh, for success in this very strange environment. Now for class of 2022, 2022, ah, I saw something pop up here. I I think this also applies to 2022 to a lesser degree. Uh, Like I said, probably 90% of schools across the country went test optional for the class of 2021. Very, very, very few, maybe five, maybe 10% said that they were going test optional for the class of 2022 and beyond, okay? So I still think this is going to be valuable, especially since travel is limited. Uh, there are some other pieces, but I don't think it'll be up to a third. Again, that's my thats my best guess, uh, like it is for 2021, but it may be 10%, it may be 15%, which is still a pretty significant uh, percentage as, as we're looking at the at the big picture, Okay. Hopefully that helps. All right, moving along. And again, if you have questions, uh, put them in the chat and and we'll we'll cover them at the very end as well. So number two is the test optional policies themselves. And I've already kind of touched on this a little bit. So many schools have moved in this direction, but I think we need to better understand what this means for our students. When when a school says that their test is optional, it can mean a hundred different things, and that may be a little bit of an exaggeration, but but probably not by much. Uh, College admissions, they're notorious for thinking that they're smarter than every other school, so they create their own policies that may look completely different than the school next door that everybody thinks that they're the same, right? Like a KU and K-State policy may look completely different, and trust me, they do, all right? So Some things to keep in mind here is Test test optional, first of all, you're going to have to look at each individual institution, uh, which is kind of a lot to deal with already. But this should go into what we had talked about in our first webinar, where students are kind of starting to track that information. They're already gathering that information, creating their quote unquote resume in their their Google Doc or whatever, whatever kind of format you all choose to use. Uh, so knowing what these these schools' requirements are and what their, their deadlines look like, and of course, policies like test optional are important. So again, this is not test blind. Very, very few schools are test blind these days. Uh, there are a few across the country. Most of them are liberal arts schools in the Northeast, where literally you can submit an ACT or SAT, but they literally will not look at it if colleges this is a little insider baseball if a college doesn't ask for the information or there's no place to put it on their application and again i know common app has made this a little muddier uh, but uh if if you can hop on every college still has their own almost all colleges have their own application Uh, so you can hop on there and at least flip through and see what they require because if they don't have a spot for for act scores or sat subject scores or whatever it may be. It's not like somebody is sitting there entering this data into a computer like we used to, right? This is automatically going into the system. And if they don't have a field for it, they don't have a place for it in in their CRM, their Client Resource Management tool, so they're not even using it. They they can't use it (laughs) to make a decision. So things like that are gonna be important to kind of pay attention to. It's sometimes the little things that help us kind of see what a school finds important in the process. Uh, so very few are test blind where they literally won't use it, but watch for it. The other thing is differences in, in um, acceptance rates, right? Oftentimes, students who who apply test optional have lower acceptance rates. And some of it, uh, and again, a- as well-intentioned as admissions offices are, there's there's some subjectivity that goes into this for sure. And if they see a student who has not submitted an eight- an ACT or SAT score they're going to assume that they're scoring a little lower than this other student who submitted theirs and their resumes look almost identical right so uh, again who's going to get accepted at that, that point probably the, the the kiddo who who actually did the had had this great resume but also submitted their scores and they're kind of what they were looking for pre-covid all right i would also maybe the most important piece is with regard to scholarshiping all right. Now, this has been an interesting thing that we've seen where sometimes families think they they hear test optional and they think, "Oh, I don't have to submit my scores at all." Well, I think some schools are reworking their matrices right now for for scholarshiping, for their merit-based aid. But from my conversations with universities, they are still going to be requiring ACT scores in order to award scholarships. So sometimes maybe Maybe we don't think a whole lot about a 1000 or 2000 or maybe even up to a $4,000 scholarship per year. But again, 16000 I, I don't know a student who could work part-time effectively during school and, and other things aren't suffering and can make that $4,000 during the academic year. That's just a challenge for a lot of students. So it, 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 again, it's just taking that money right off the top line, and I, I don't know why we wouldn't. We wouldn't really be open to free money as much as we possibly can. So, again, there's still some value for it, even if it's not in the admission side. Okay, so some little things to kind of pay attention to. All right. Uh, And I kind of touched on this already. Class of 2021, it's going to look different than 22 and beyond. All right. The one other thing that I'll throw out. When test optional became a thing way back, maybe 15, 20 years ago, uh, and and I was wor- working and living in Boston at the time, and in the Northeast, there were two things that were going to happen. One, every school is going to be test optional in the next three years, and the college uh, bubble, the, the cost of college, that bubble was going to pop within the next three years, right? So this was back in 03, 04, 05. Everybody was talking about it. Clearly, neither has actually come true. Now, COVID has kind of put a wrench in it, but I, I still think most schools find value in testing, and they want to see that piece, all right? But when when this all first started, this test optional idea, how a school like NYU or Brandeis actually fits the model of what they were actually intending for test optional. So NYU, you can submit ACT scores. You can submit SAT scores. You can submit three AP exams. You can submit IB exams. You can take three SAT subject tests. It's all these different options, right? Test optional. And that's how they're going to make their decision. They're they're using that that information. The student gets the choice. You can take whatever tests you want. Here are the sets that you can choose from. Maybe there are six. Maybe there are eight and then you can kind of go from there. And, and I think that that is probably a, a better long-term strategy with testing um, if, if schools are going to go test optional. Now, again, those other exams are not measuring what the ACT and SAT are measuring per se, so it may not be as useful data, which is why I think most schools have not gone that way. But again, I, I, if we're going to go test optional and, and eliminate. Again, in the in the current sense, and just eliminate the need for these pieces. I think we lose some vital data along the way. And again, if it didn't have any value, I, I don't think the the organizational data people on campus wouldn't be screaming, "Hey, look at this! This is this is one of the most important pieces of the admission cycle." All right. Any questions on that one? All right. <laughs> Moving into number three, the the writing and essay component of the ACT and SAT. So these have shifted a lot over the last well, probably even the last five years, but especially over the last 10 or 15. They, they introduced them uh, basically in, in 05 and then again in the early 2010s for the ACT. And basically, these were tools that, that, that ACT and SAT developed to help, help colleges know how students how effective they are as writers, right? Now, what's come out and what's actually happening here is very different than what what colleges kind of expected to begin with. So, students are given a basic score. So, on the ACT, that score is between two and twelve. There are two graders scoring at one to six each, and then you just add those two scores together. Okay. Uh, some of the some of the challenge here is that the the percentiles, how it's actually scored, are kind of skewed five years ago, a seven was about average. Now, a five or a six is about a 50th percentile. So I think, I'm not sure most colleges are fully aware of that, to be completely honest. And so they, I don't think the evaluation piece is as good. And they're seeing lower scores, and I just think that they don't deem them as valuable because most colleges have moved away from these. There are maybe a handful of schools across the country, generally more selective, highly selective schools uh, that are requiring the writing section or the essay of the SAT. Uh, so so just kind of know, again, unless they actually explicitly ask for it, they're not going to require it. Now. Going back to Get Smarter Prep's general recommendation on this, we, if a student walks in and they have zero clue what kind of college they want to apply to or where they want to go, then we go ahead and recommend that they go ahead and take uh, the writing section, because it's not necessarily going to hurt them. It's just an extra 40-minute section at the end of a test, and maybe they'll do their best, maybe they won't after sitting there for four hours already. Uh, but, but we, we want to make sure that they have the opportunity to apply to any school that they so choose okay if you don't have the writing section and you fall in love with a school that requires the writing section there are only two options one you got to check it off your list you can't even apply because you don't meet their requirements or two we have to retake the the act again and that's not fun either all right any questions here in the in the writing and essay components all right all right so this is this is a pretty hot topic uh an important piece to cover right now is super scoring historically we've seen about about maybe 60 percent of schools across the country super score the act for the sat sorry super score the sat and about about a third maybe about 33 percent uh super scoring the act all right uh, so we want to make sure that we are helping our students kind of understand the trend here. And that trend is absolutely towards super scoring. Uh, it's even in the regard uh, in, in regards to. The. Uh, I mean, scholarshiping. I mean, there are a lot of things that are happening that, that make zero sense from our side, but we want to make sure that, that students are set up for success in this way. So, what is super scoring? Super scoring, for those of you that don't know, is a student takes a test twice, they combine the, the best subject scores into one super score. All right, so maybe on one test you had a 27 in English and a 30 in math, and the next one you flip it, you have a 30 in English and a 27 in math. They're going to take the two 30s and and count those those toward the super score. All right, the, the the ACT actually for for decades actively told colleges do not super score for the ACT. So a big shift happened last spring. It may have been. Closer to the winter, and ACT actually released some data that they've been collecting since 2013 and 2015, and these different surveys and different pieces of information they've been uh, uh, looking at, and they actually s- decided that actually super scores are a better indicator from from the data that we have. So I, I think that we're going to see more and more schools super score. I would, again, these are our estimates and it's changing every day, but I, w- I would estimate about 60% of schools will be super scoring for the ACP in some capacity this year. And I think that's only going to grow over the next three to four years. Okay. So that's an important piece to watch for. So, generally speaking, we've, we've, Recommended to most students, let's test. Let's take the test one time, get our absolute best score, and be done with it. Now, again, that only happens for a subset of students. Uh, so they end up taking it a second time, or maybe a third. But I, I think we're going to be transitioning into a more regular uh, two-test approach. Or, again, we'll, we'll touch on this here in, in just a moment. Is the computer-based and section retesting? I think we may use those different pieces uh, it, as we move forward. OK, I saw a question pop up. Um, let me see. Give me one quick moment. Let me pull up some data here in a moment. And I, uh, the question had, had to do with do, uh, what, are, what are the selective schools actually doing? What are highly selective schools looking for um, when it comes to super scoring? And I, I have some good data here. I'm going to see if I can. Hopefully it doesn't take too too long here. I apologize for this. It's actually something that I usually have sitting right in front of myself uh, all day long, but uh, I closed all my tabs. But I, I will I'll send the, some of the actual data to you all here uh, after after a while. Um, but we we have some amazing. Uh, data that, that kind of has tracked probably about 80 to 100 of our, the most popular school schools that our students ch- choose to go to or are highly interested in. And I would say that kind of has tracked probably about percent of, of those schools are super scoring, if not more. And, and again, just like any other school, even even some of our regional schools, two schools that don't that, that look almost identical. They're going to have different policies. So you're going to see some schools, whether it's in the Ivy Leagues or the Ivy-like schools, that will superscore, and you'll see some that will not. Uh, I was hoping to pull that data up really quickly, but it didn't work out for me. Okay. Um, and, and again, uh, Elena, I will I will share that information with you at some point. Did I see another question come through? I didn't get to get a chance to see it. Oh. Did you have, did you see something else there? No, that's it. Um, There's one from Amy. Okay. Uh, Super score in the writing section. Do you foresee an option of taking the writing section on its own, or will it continue to be an add-on to the complete ACT test? Okay, so the question has to do with with the writing section. I don't know if you all could hear Jill there. and whether the writing section will ever be uh, a retest section again, a lot has been up in the air with the retesting and, and we'll we 'll spend a, a minute on on that retesting here in a moment i i 'm not sure what they 're going to do with this to be completely honest i i don 't think they 've disclosed this information yet. Uh, the retesting has been focused on the multiple choice sections just because so few students take the writing section And it's a little bit more difficult or or changes the dynamics a bit when a student is typing uh, Which is how all, all section retesting is going to happen compared to um, Writing it out. So I think there may be some some variants there And I think that's maybe why they haven't announced anything yet. Uh, I'm not going to say that they won't do it uh, but I, I would be hesitant to believe that they will move in that direction, just partially because so few schools require it, and because of that, that maybe extra bonus advantage uh, to actually doing it on a computer. Okay. Um, the the last thing that I want to touch on with super scoring is not only do different institutions have different policies, and you kind of have to dig in a, uh, into your school set to, to kind of determine what those look like. But even within the school, within the university, they may be evaluating these differently across campus. So an admissions office, for instance, maybe they don't superscore, and maybe that's the information that we've seen. But guess what? Maybe they're their financial aid office does super score for scholarships. Uh, we're seeing this more and more. Uh, University of Arkansas has done this for a number of years now, where their admissions office does not super score, but they, they reciprocate in-state tuition for out-of-state students from Kansas and Missouri who score certain ACT scores and have particularly good GPAs, okay? So it, it's a huge advantage. Again, some students getting... Improving a point could mean eight or nine thousand dollars a year, which is a huge chunk. Okay, KU has actually moved in this direction this year, uh, where their their um, admissions they they're not going to superscore, but for financial aid they will take that into account. Um, so, so some some little things to watch for uh, as as you're kind of moving through the process. I wish everything were were clean and colleges just here is stuff that you as a family and you as a student want uh, because we know it. And these are the most important things. Unfortunately, sometimes we have to dig or again, don't be afraid to to pick up the phone. Um, I know. I I'm hesitant to pick up a phone for some reason. Maybe it's just <laughs> my my age, or I don't know what it is. Uh, but I'd much rather shoot an email or something like that. But sometimes, or, or just search on my own forever. Uh, but I've I've had a lot of success uh, reaching college admissions offices, even this summer when things are chaotic, and and just allows us to kind of get that question answered uh, from a human. And and again, they can also put a, some little caveats. So when I when I talked to some schools recently, like Mizzou. Um, they, they informed me that uh, this was last week, maybe the Friday, so maybe a week and a half ago. And Mizzou shared with me that they everything on their website is probably going to be out of date very soon for the class of 2021, because they're reworking their matrix for scholarships. And, and they didn't know what that was going to look like yet. Uh, it hadn't been finalized. So kind of watch for those little pieces along the way, too, OK? All right, moving right along. So into section retesting and computer-based testing. So this is one of those kind of humorous, funny parts from our side uh, working in the industry. 2013, ACT came out and and released uh, that by 2015, every student will be taking the ACT on a computer. And clearly, that hasn't happened. Um, As of 2018, 2019, there were about 5% of students nationwide that that were taking the ACT on the computer. Everything else was uh, pencil and paper, all right? So that is gonna be shifting fairly rapidly in in some cases. Uh, So those of you who have a student in Blue Valley, uh, Blue Valley decided a a couple weeks before uh, the Kansas test so the state of Kansas uh, started administering the eight, uh, an official ACT at school in February, uh, the last two years, and students during that uh, kind of got sprung on them a little bit late. But they were uh, everybody took it online. Everybody took it as a uh, on a computer, and and again, I think there are some some challenges in that um, inherently. Some some students are just much better. They're just more, more tech-savvy than others. Sometimes technology doesn't work the way that it's supposed to, which is clearly going to be a hindrance. And then, a- again, just different sections. I think there are advantages to some, How I, at least how I perceive it, uh, things like the reading section or maybe the English section where uh, we can kind of move through some things a little bit more quickly, whereas maybe the math section uh, – Sometimes for for most students, kind of actually getting in and and writing and drawing and doing those things, those are the things that are important. So sometimes students will have to spend the time to redraw a figure so that they can kind of manipulate it along the way. And, and I think that takes extra time, and time is of the essence on the ACT. So I think for some students it's great, others it's bad. Some sections it's good, some sections it's bad. Uh, so we'll see how that continues to have an impact in the long run. Uh, but we've we've actually introduced uh, language for computer-based testing into our newest manual that we developed this this summer to make sure that we can we can support those students along the way as, as effectively as possible. The the other piece to this, and maybe the most important, because it's going to be ubiquitous and it's going to be valuable for students everywhere, is section retesting. Uh, And this is in this category because all section retesting will all be computer based. All right. So this isn't where a student and they've taken a full length test on paper, pencil and paper, and they can go choose to just do the math section on paper. It's going to have to be computer based. All right. So I want to make sure that we're kind of looking at that from a realistic perspective, because certain sections, are, we're, we're probably going to be better suited for, for that format uh, altogether. The other thing that I really want to stress here is we still don't fully know when a- ACT is going to roll out this uh, section retesting. It was supposed to come out this fall. So in, I guess it is September already, isn't it? So in a week and a half, they were supposed to have this section retesting for students. But with COVID, so many students didn't get to take the test, especially class of 2021 in April or June or July, that they, they scrapped it. They pushed it into what they call 2021, and they opened up more seats for students to take uh, a test for the first time. Or, again, maybe they needed to take the whole test again, so, so retesting in that format. I am optimistic that when they say we're going to push it to 2021, I'm optimistic that it's going to be for the spring of 2021, but I'm not positive that's actually going to happen. Uh, I tend to be more optimistic than I probably should. I think that it'll probably realistically be more for the fall of 2021, Uh, so students who are in the class of 2021 probably will not benefit from this what whatsoever, uh, but I do think that the class of 2022 may have an opportunity. But again, I don't want students to bank on this. Right? We we had students who who came through last last July and last September, who took the test. They saw a really good improvement, but there was a section that they wanted to retest. And they 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 saw this information come out from ACT. And so they just they just expected it. They planned on it, and I think that that really threw off certain students and their 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 approaches and how they would have gone about uh, preparing in the best way possible. Because. Again, waiting a full year to, to go back and review. If it's for a section, OK, uh, we don't have to redo a bunch of work to, to get back to where we were and then build on that. But if we're doing that for all four sections now, that, that can be a lot of heavy lifting and a lot more expense and energy and time than than what was initially thought, OK? Any questions here in computer-based? All right so here we're going to talk a little bit about enrollment trends and I've I've touched on some of them but but there's some interesting things to keep in mind um we we work with families from all over the metro and and they come from lots of different backgrounds so as a parent I, I I would encourage you to keep some of these in mind moving forward with your student um some of it again this isn't even on here I wasn't planning on talking about it but again just kind of knowing even what 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 do these scores mean, and if you come in for a scores back we we have that conversation with every student and every family where we 're going to help you better understand what the test is about, but even like how it's scored, like what does my score mean? Sometimes we have a misconception, especially in our area here in Johnson County or Kansas City, Missouri, or wherever it may be, where we aren't fully aware of what the scores mean because we see something like a twenty and we think okay that's not not what I was shooting for, right? I hear that a lot. But again, if we put it into context, and that's actually the 52nd percentile, which means more than 50% of current college students are al- already envious of that 20 that a student achieves, OK? Uh, or, or a 30. Again, I'm just going to jump way up there and go by 10s here. So a 30, a lot, of, a lot of families think, oh, everybody scores a 30 or higher it's actually the 93rd percentile. So only 7% of college students score to 30 or above. So little things like that can kind of help us kind of gauge what's important. What what are these schools? How competitive are these schools in reality? Okay. Because as soon as we start talking about selective and highly selective schools, if their average scores are 31 to 34, now we're talking about their average student is in the top, Three, three to five percent of all testers, right? So we're talking about a very, very competitive place, um, and, and we just want to make sure we're we're finding fits for our students along the way. Fun fact: So in 1994, there were 8.7 million students in college. Okay, the number of colleges has not changed, really. There may be a couple that have popped up, but there have also been quite a few that have closed. And we, in 2020, they, they projected, and again, this may be a little bit off, but uh, just mm-hmm. due to COVID, but we are at about 14 million students in college uh, in, in four-year institutions. This is not taking into account uh, vocational schools or or two-year schools or anything like that. So we've had a 61% increase in numbers of students in the last 26 years, but we don't have more schools. So our highly selective schools, they've always worked at capacity. So now we're just talking about more students, more competition. Um, those of us who went to an amazing school, it, it looked, that, that student population looks different now. It's even more competitive, believe it or not, than it was, uh, in 1994 based on this data okay so little things like that kind of watching those trends enrollment is way up uh, and and we want to make sure that we're taking that into account as well the other thing that I'll throw out there is because uh, of COVID fewer students are going to be going far away for college like so many students are wanting to stay close to home well this could give students who are still motivated and willing to try something new and go far away, it may give them a little bit more competitive advantage compared to previous years. So I'm encouraging students to, to apply to more reach schools this year than ever before. Because if enrollment or if, if applications are down even 10 or 15% at some of these selective schools, I think it gives that student uh, who may have been on the cusp before a much better chance here for this class. So. I, Again, so much has changed. So much is, is up in the air. But I, I think there are some things that we can kind of follow that'll, that'll help our students out. For class of 2022, I think it's a little bit too early to be able to tell exactly what some of those trends are going to look like. Um, I, I, and enrollment may be back to normal. Um, it's just tough to say at this exact moment. Uh, but for 2021, I think that there are some important pieces to kind of watch for in that, in that regard. Um, some some little things uh, in here. It, it talks about uh, the the application process and early action, early early decision. Uh, we talked about those terms in our last webinar, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time there. Uh, but acceptance rates are usually a touch higher there for for students who apply early action or early decision compared to regular decision. Uh, so that's something to kind of watch for and pay attention to. But uh, on the flip side of that is scholarships are generally quite a bit less for students who apply early action or early decision than for students with regular admission so uh, kind of you have to kind of weigh those those uh, priorities and what's what's important and, and maybe what's in the the savings plan and things like that uh, so kind of watch for that uh, the, the other piece of this is I think we're going to have a pretty significant transition, and if if there's ever been a time for the the cost bubble to burst in higher education, uh, many schools are sixty or seventy thousand dollars a year now. I think it's a it's going to be in the, the nearest future, um, and again, I know people have been saying this for well over a decade, uh, but again, so many schools are going uh, to an online format for. If not all of their classes this fall, for many of them, and I think that the the perceived value is going to be different in these in these situations, and I I want to make sure that we're kind of looking at at that information, and again, it may or may not impact our students in the next year or two, um, but it, it may impact our decisions. How how do we decide what what that best best path is? Maybe it, if we're looking at a highly selective school and all of their classes are going to be online. Maybe maybe the, the learning environment's going to be better for a year or or maybe for all four years at, at a local school where we can uh, kind of engage with our professors and other other students in the classroom. OK. We asked, have you heard about any trends and decreases in applications from international students, which may open up more spots for U.S. students in highly selective <laughs> schools? Yeah, I think that, that that that's a great point. So so Mary asked the question about international applications uh, and how that's going to affect enrollment on college campuses and, and opening up spots for for domestic students. And I absolutely think that's going to be the case. Again, there's so many students uh, internationally who are who are traveling or who are, who are not traveling, who are uh again just kind of in this limbo period and and i do think that's going to impact enrollment now i think that there are still a lot of students internationally that will still come but i do think that number is going to be lower than in years past i i, I think across the board <laughs> um except for maybe local students which may actually be up for for universities i think any anybody traveling from 50 miles or more including international i just think that that enrollment is going to be considerably down for schools okay good good question i like it all right so uh, these factors in the ad- admission decision, and, and I tried to put these in the order, and, and I alluded to some of this earlier, so I stole some of the thunder, so I probably won't spend a ton of time here. But again, first and foremost, the most important thing is, is a student's GPA. Uh, they want Colleges are going to want to know their grades and class rank, uh, take that, that information into account. Uh, And then, of course, strength of schedule is probably the second most important. And that's going to be demonstrated by taking AP uh, or IB classes or even just honors classes. Uh, Some schools don't allow students to take AP classes until they're upperclassmen or whatever that may look like. Uh, So making sure that the student is challenging themselves. Now, I would argue that I, I think most schools are savvy enough to recognize that a student, uh, even a very good student, they don't they don't excel in every single subject. Like they they may not love uh, math, but they absolutely love the English arts and history. And and again, challenging yourself in those areas that are appropriate, maybe right. Um, I, sometimes math is very sequential. I get it. So maybe that next step is calc AB a, or calc B C. And and that could be absolutely fine uh, if the student is engaged and they're going to they're going to perform well and it's not going to be too overwhelming. Again, there, there may be other options like an AP stats class, which may be not as weighted as heavily uh, in, in the uh, strength of schedule equation. But I do think that, one, they're, they're going to get something like maybe that, that college credit but learn some new skills that I think are going to be applicable in the long run and maybe not kill themselves um, with, with their low their school load. Okay. So I think that's going to be an important piece to watch for. The the third is of course standardized tests. Um, And again, for class of 2021, I think this looks different, but I still think, I still think for those schools who are accepting scores uh, and that aren't completely test blind, I think that these are still going to be maybe the most important or, or, up there, just because what else are they going to be gauging this information based upon? Like I said, those the the trend line toward the the end of junior year and beginning of senior year is typically so important and so strong uh, with as they're evaluating these these transcripts. And in this case, I'm I'm just not sure how how colleges are going to look at that. I, I don't know. how, I mean, let alone like. The logistics, but just the, what value can they can they garner from it? All right, and then we have things like the the college essays, uh, which I think are going to be more heavily weighted than than usual. I think on top of demonstrated interest, I think that the the essays are maybe the two most <laughs> important in, in for class of twenty twenty one in particular, um, because it allows allows colleges to know who we are as a person, what we value, and make sure that there we are a good fit. Because even if maybe Academically, we may not be the right fit in a normal year. Maybe we are the perfect fit for them in, in lots of other ways. And this is an opportunity for us to convey that that idea. And then some schools have their interviews. Anytime a college offers an interview, I strongly recommend jumping on it. Uh, I think that the, the time with an admissions rep, uh, even if it is an alumni rep, I think those are times where you can, again, Goes to that starred piece. Showed that. Showed that. Demonstrated interest. Okay. If it's optional, I uh, strongly encourage your student to do it. Okay. And and generally they're not hard, like very very difficult interviews. They're they're typically very fairly casual, trying just to get to understand uh, and know the student a little bit more. Uh, in other cases they are very intense. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> um, but but in most cases I think that they're more conversational than anything else. Uh, extracurricular activities recommendations. I think those are still going to be on there. Uh, knowing the school that you're applying to, community service may be something that has zero bearing. It may be something that could be highly important to the institution. Uh, we have some great, um, great schools across the country. Where again, if you look at some of the some of the data and numbers, there are schools like Brandeis. There are schools like Vanderbilt, where if if we're looking at those schools one we have to be performing very well in the classroom and very well on test day but those schools are known for their community service of their current students so guess what they're going to value that on the admission side as well making sure that the students are engaged in their community they are giving back uh if if you see a school that they emphasize this in their marketing material that this is what our students do we we do 1 million hours of community service each year or whatever it is. I don't know. Then again, making sure that we emphasize that in our essays, we emphasize that in our applications, in our communication, all those different pieces. Okay. All right. And and then the last one, um, I think, I think this has shifted even over the last two or three years, especially with, with super scoring becoming more popular, but persistence with testing, not necessarily even, like just massive improvements. Um, but there, I think there are some schools that like to see a student take it two or three times to show that they are really engaged. They really want this. They want to get to that next point. So again, this is not going to be um, vital at most schools but i think there are some that if if they're looking for a 25 they've told you they really want to see you get a 25 and you go from a 22 to a 23 to a 24 so you're not quite at that 25 yet i think maybe they see you working you're seeing some progress uh, you're putting in the time and energy and i think that they they some schools will evaluate that i had a student who was looking at uh, auburn this last year and and that was something that that the the admissions reps actively talked about at at their school. So I I think there are some different pieces there. And of course, every college has their own little thing. So kind of pay attention, like I said, to the the marketing component. And that'll tell you what to emphasize and and kind of how to go about it. All right? The, The eighth one is gap year. So I'm not going to spend a ton of time because I think most people know what gap year kind of means. Uh, it's definitely not for everyone, uh, but it, it is becoming much more popular in the era of COVID. Um, in my opinion, this is not the year to do it because I think that uh, their travel opportunities are, are way lower. Um, even jobs right now, uh, getting good, really good work experience during, during this time frame probably isn't as available um, in, in, compared to normal years. And uh, we're kind of seeing the trend the other way, right? So it's going to be the job market is going to be even more competitive for, the, for these students. So historically, 3% of high school grads take a gap year, OK, and then they go on to, to college. Now, oftentimes, these are students who um, actually come back and they achieve at a very high level at the college level. Um, but it's certainly, again, you step away from something how how engaged? I think I think you have to know your student to know what this looks like. But the other the flip the, the other side of the coin here is three percent. You typically take a gap year. This year it could be up to fifteen or twenty percent. That is a huge number, and some of that is just financial, right? A lot of families uh, are just in a position where th- things are uncertain, and they're not sure if if spending 40000 dollars a year makes a lot of sense for their particular student. Um, I think community colleges are going to be busting at the seams. Um, I may be wrong, but I, I think that we're going to see a trend back to that, like we saw in uh, during the housing bubble and things like that back in 07, 08, 09. Uh, so we'll, I'm going to keep my eye on that. And then again, I'm going to. This is inside baseball. This is my own perspective on this. Sometimes we think of going to a, uh, families think about going to a community college uh, to get some of the basics out of the way to save money. I'm going to tell you oftentimes, one, we don't save any money because oftentimes credits don't transfer to each school equally, right? So, instead of spending four years at one school, maybe we end up spending five years in college. We lose opportunity for earnings in that fifth year. We spend extra tuition dollars, and oftentimes scholarships are not nearly as high for transfer students as they are for first-time freshmen. So, Little things to keep in mind like that, even Um, not saying that uh, a lot of most of our families are not looking at at going that route. Uh, But maybe you hear somebody talking about that and maybe you can share just a little bit of knowledge there. All right. So great. This is an important one. And uh, I'm going to spend more time on this one than number 10. And then we'll we'll open up to questions and, and kind of wrap things up. Okay. so. With with grades, we have seen there's been a lot of documentation with uh, grade inflation that's happened. Um, the University of California system they did their long 18 month year study into their students and what what pieces of information were most valuable, which were most biased, things like that. And actually, grades ended up being one of the more biased pieces um, in 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 their world. And and that oftentimes has to do with just how we're kind of evaluating them and, and the school and the pressure to to get the best grades possible, okay? Um, so I think, and again, especially since most schools have gone away from, from class ranking, I think this makes evaluating grades even more challenging and other pieces become more important. Uh, this is one of those trends that I think either – does exist or will exist in the near future as as more and more schools dig into this data and and information. Um, A a couple things here. Uh, Most of our students in, in high school, we have our weighted grades and our unweighted grades. Most colleges are going to recalculate your GPA in order to kind of level the playing field. Okay. So, so just know uh, when when you enter your when, when your student enters their grades into their applications, they're just translating that straight over into the system and they're recalculating the GPA based upon that information. All right. They some schools will just use every class, some will only use core classes, some will use core classes plus maybe some electives, but not all of them. These are these are things that, again, you can ask the admissions professionals about. But again, just knowing that our core classes are most important and the others are also important. (laughs) They're just a little less important, maybe. Okay. I will say I I reached out to a few schools recently and uh, Missouri State down in in Springfield, Missouri, they are actually using weighted GPAs for scholarships, which is very interesting, especially since uh, if you look at their website, their their scale uh, for their highest scholarships you have to have a 2.8 or higher and a 3.7 to 4.0 GPA. So even their GPA scale uh, only goes up to 4.0 on that piece, but they do use weighted GPAs for scholarships, which is amazing, right? I think on I think the average GPA with weighted GPAs in Johnson County is probably probably a 3.7 or 3.8, right, with weighted GPAs. Um, So making sure that we're kind of watching for those pieces um, and how different colleges are going to look at that data. Um, And I touched on this a moment ago, and it's the upward trend in grades is probably more, more important Maybe just important in a different way compared to continuously scoring, like doing well in school. Uh, Again, if a student has A's across the board in every class, all four years, perfect. That's that's the ideal. But again, a GPA doesn't tell the full story. Sometimes if a student really slacks during freshman year and then they actually get their their act together and do very well in sophomore and junior year. Again, colleges will recognize that trend. They're, they're, some of the software that they have will actually, that they'll designate that as a trend, and they'll be able to see that information uh, pretty readily. So I want to make sure that uh, students don't kind of give up. They, 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 sometimes students think, oh, it's freshman year; I can't raise my GPA up to a 3.5 no matter what I do at this point. Well, again, maybe not, but there are some trends there that can help us um, demonstrate that we've turned things around, that we're taking things more seriously, and that college is an important next step. Okay. All right, any questions on that one? All right. The 10th piece, uh, again, is going to be fairly quick because it's SAT subject tests, and very, very, very few schools require them. In fact, out of the, the top 100 schools that our students say that they are interested in, interested in, there are only a handful that actually use them at all or actually require them. So Rice uh, University down in Houston, an amazing school, especially for engineering and, and some other areas, Rice requires SAT subject tests still. Uh, whereas, like places like I mentioned earlier, Brandeis and, and NYU, they you can use them for t- their test optional in place of the ACT or SAT or whatever else. So I I think that there is um, value at certain schools, but I think it's very, very, very limited. Most schools are are talking in terms of uh, we, we recommend these SAT subject tests. And again, if a student is absolutely amazing in math, but their their ACT score is maybe, let's say it's a 31 and we're applying to an Ivy League school. Well, maybe we want to take the SAT, uh, uh, the math two SAT subject test to demonstrate that we have this amazing ability, score very, very well, and then kind of move forward from there. The other thing that I'll throw out there is is the scoring on the SAT subject test, because, again, it's generally based upon the population that's actually taking the exam. And when we look at that, the percentiles on this are just absolutely bonkers. Uh, so if, if your student is a native uh, speaker of, an, of another language other than English, okay, maybe maybe you could take that, that language uh, SAT subject test. But if you are, maybe you're just taking... Spanish 4 as a senior or something, and you want to take the SAT subject, I would strongly recommend against it. Um, a perfect score, like a 790 to 800, is generally, in, in certain languages, like the 65th percentile. <laughs> like a perfect score, just because so many, so many of those students do absolutely perfect on the exam. And again, I think native speakers just generally have a little bit of an advantage in that, in that regard. There are also certain things. Again, the math one subject test, I, we wouldn't recommend for anybody. Why it exists, I'm not fully sure, um, but it 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 had a purpose 20 years ago, but that purpose is is long gone at this point. So if you're going to take a math test, take the math two SAT subject test. Um, and then there are some other pieces with with whether it's your Uh, European history or U.S. history or world history, not European, world history, for SAT subject tests, uh, we recommend that students go ahead and take these if they're going to take them uh, during the May test date uh, whenever possible, okay? The early May test date uh, just allows a student to have the entire entire year of curriculum under their belt before they actually take the exam. And it also kind of does some double duty. So if a student is taking... Uh, U.S. History AP. And guess what? That test is going to be like a week after the SAT subject test for the U.S. History. So you're kind of doing double duty. You're studying for both. They're going to be very similar, at least the multiple choice pieces are. So that allows students to to kind of just leverage that time and, and get their best scores. Okay. All right. I'm going to flip through these very, very quickly. Uh, so again, I think a lot of you already know our course offerings: uh, small group classes, uh, students no more than eight students. In anything, uh, even our two class options are typically three to five students, and then semi-private is is generally two students, but it could be as many as four if if uh, if the students find good partners. Okay, most popular here at Get Smarter Prep is private tutoring, and that just allows us to target the very specific areas that the student needs customize that schedule along the way all right and then again i've talked about the levels along the way the website is a great resource hop on to get uh there are some blogs on there there's there are some really great um podcasts actually uh jill and i have, have put together three almost three complete seasons now of our of our podcast simply smarter so you can find those uh anywhere you find normal podcasts uh you're you're your app, Apple, iTunes, iTunes, there Spotify. it is, Spotify, uh, wherever, wherever you're going. Okay. So, so check those out. They can be kind of interesting. Uh, you just have to listen to me talk a little bit, but Jill's way more interesting and way more fun than I. All right. Any final questions as we begin to wrap up? Wendy he has one question. Okay. Our college is blind to race, ethnicity, meaning that you do not have to report all right so the question has to do with uh race in the application process this is an interesting one um so most most states most places you can't take race into account in the admission decision um legally but we're we're seeing some some lawsuits come through especially at some ivy league schools where there are students who have, have filed lawsuits because they feel like they were dis- discriminated against based on race. And, and it's, it's a lot of uh, Asian-American students, especially at, at Harvard or, or other schools on the East Coast, where their acceptance rates are much lower than what they should be based on, strictly based on the data. Um, so I, I think that there it's a component to be aware of. Um, but i think most colleges are following the law and and not evaluating that piece so if I, i'm i'd actually be surprised i haven't looked at the common app in this regard for a while but i'd be surprised if that question's even popping up on most applications these days um it may be on a supplement piece for for scholarships or things like that because there may be a scholarship that that has to do based upon race Uh, but i'm not i'm not sure on the admission side specifically uh, if there's anything that that would be covering that Really, I just want to thank you for taking some time this morning. Hopefully, you've learned a little something. Uh, Hopefully, uh, me talking for this long hasn't uh, put you to sleep. Uh, But we really do value you, and um, we we look forward to continuing to serve the Kansas City metro area. All right? Uh, On there, you see the Simply Smarter podcast, but also shoot me an email if you have some questions, some follow-ups. My email is just caleb at getsmarterprep.com. All right? Have a wonderful rest of the day, enjoy yourselves, and everyone stay well, thanks. High school can be tough. We'll help you navigate some of the areas you need help with, including the college preparation process by providing advice for families. Every student is different and has a unique path. That's why we created this podcast. Our innovative and intentional approach builds confidence in the individual student. Listen each week to find out how students can score better on college placement tests with techniques and methods that build confidence, beat test anxiety, and identify strengths within each student. We're listening to Simply Smarter with hosts Caleb and Jill. Check out our blog at GetSmarterPrep.com for more college prep-related topics.